Though my heart has been untrue, though I cursed even hated you, you still love me. Though consumed with selfishness, anger, lies, and bitterness, you still love me. Oh, I so deserve your rejection. No, I don't deserve your affection. But your love. Your great love is unconditional. Yes, your love, your great love is unconditional. Though I've had no time for you, was filled with pride, ungrateful too. You still love me, though I've turned my heart away, constantly have gone astray. You still love me. Oh, I so deserve your rejection. Oh, I don't deserve your affection, but your love, your great love is unconditional. Yes, your love. Your great love is unconditional. Yes, your love is unconditional. Yes, your love. Is All right, uh, good evening. Could you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, verse 22, please? Romans chapter 15, verse 22. All right. Uh, that, last, uh, that last song was, uh, is off that, uh, the latest CD we put out. So weird. weird uh, I mean, I love that song now, but when I wrote it, I didn't like it because I was just like in bits and pieces, and that, it came together. I was like, oh, actually, after I listened to it, I go, I actually like it better than when I wrote it, so hopefully somebody else likes it. <clears throat> but I like what it says, because it talks about God's unconditional love, you know, so I think it's, a, I, like the, I like the idea. All right, um, just a little reminder, just to, just to start announcing it. I'll be on, uh, I'll be on vacation um, going out uh, Monday, July 26th to August, Tuesday, August 3rd. So that our last class before that summer break that we usually have is, will be ju- Sunday, July 25th. We'll have service that day, and then we'll resume classes on Sunday, August 8th. And uh, I'm looking, I'm trying to, I, I sent an email out to Dr. Meisinger at Schaefer's uh, Theological Seminary. I haven't heard back from him. I'm, seeing, I'm going to see if we could try, because he, he offered to me, I think when he came out about a year and a half ago, that when I go on vacation, he could uh, maybe have somebody from the seminary or somebody he knows who could sit in, you know, while I'm out. That that uh, either teach that Sunday, August first, or, or all four days that we usually have, 
uh, when I'm out of town. So I thought that might be might good might be good for all. Uh, you know, we talked about it last year even. So we'll see what happens. I haven't heard back from him, so we'll keep that in prayer. All right, we're going to uh, wrap up verse 27 here this evening, and we're going to continue to talk about the um, the gift that Paul was going to deliver to the poor Jerusalem saints and, and uh, uh, Jewish saints in Jerusalem that came from the churches that he established in the Roman provinces of, Micaiah, uh, of Achaia and uh, Macedonia. And uh, this gift, as we've been pointing out, is, a, um, is an expression of God's love, this giving that they were involved in. And also, we're going to see it's a spiritual obligation uh, that uh, these Gentile believers had toward the Jewish believers because basically, as we saw in Romans 11, we saw in Romans 15, you know, the, the blessings that we Gentile believers have are basically because of the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. Jesus is a Jew. The promises of salvation uh, through the Jewish Messiah were given to the Jews. The covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were given to the Jews. And uh, so we've been uh, beneficiaries of these covenant promises, as we saw in Romans chapter 11. So uh, we're going to see the, the principle of, spiritual, uh, of the spiritual obligation that Gentile believers have toward Jewish believers. And uh, this, will, this is what we'll be studying here uh, this evening. And uh, before we do, let's take that moment of silent prayer. So uh, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, another day to gather together with each other as members of the body of Christ. We thank you for those who are in the chapel and those who might be listening on Pal Talk. We thank you for each and every one of them and those who might be visiting the website at a later date. We just thank you, Father, for gracing us out and giving us this wonderful opportunity to fellowship in your word. We thank you for placing us in union with your son, Jesus Christ, the moment we were declared justified through faith in him. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and everything that he's appropriated, everything that your son accomplished through his death and resurrection and session at your right hand. We thank you for everything he's appropriated for us that your son did the minute we trusted in your son as Savior. We also thank you, Father, for the Bible, the completed canon of Scripture, and in particular this study of the Book of Romans that we've been engaged in. We stand in awe of your word, Father, all the amazing doctrines that we've learned in the Book of Romans, and we just pray, Father, that uh, this particular... Uh, study in Romans would be a blessing to the body of Christ now and into the future. And we thank you, Father, for the fact that, uh, that we're having such a good response on, uh, on, on the Internet, on the, on the website with this study. And we just pray that it would be a benefit, benefit to the body of Christ. And we also we thank you, Father, for okay this, built, this building to meet on a consistent basis. And we thank you, Father, for the people that you've raised up that have been supporting this ministry with their time, talent, and treasure and praying for this ministry. And we do pray for our ministry. We just lift up this entire congregation. We pray, Father, that all of us would continue to grow in love toward you and each other. Help us to treat each other as you've treated us in grace and love and patience and tolerance and forgiveness. And help us to avoid getting involved in hypocrisy and proclaiming that we're Christians, yet we don't conduct ourselves in such a fashion. Help us to forgive each other as you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we can bring glory to you by manifesting your love in our lives and our relationships with each other. And so that with one voice we can bring glory to you and demonstrate that we're disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you would help us all in the audience to concentrate. Help them, Father, to understand the principles that will be noted here this evening. Help them to be objective and not subjective, that they would uh, rationally consider everything that will be taught here this evening and then consider it how, it how it applies to their lives. We pray that they would be encouraged and instructed in righteousness and also corrected and rebuked if necessary. We know that that's the, the, one of the functions of your word. So we pray, Father, that that would take place in, in all of our lives. And we also pray, Father, that you would give grace to the communicator because it cannot, uh, this cannot take place without him... Uh, with the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. So we just pray, Father, that the Spirit would guide and direct the communicator 
and that they would uh, the they in the audience would receive the necessary spiritual nourishment and you and your son Jesus Christ would be lifted up and glorified and we know that we're here to bring glory to you and to worship and praise you and your son Jesus Christ so we pray that that this would all be accomplished here this evening through the study of your word so father we pray for these things in our lord and savior Jesus Christ's name amen now in Romans 15:26 we've seen that Paul informs the Roman believers that he was going to serve the saints in Jerusalem by delivering to the destitute Jewish believers in that city an offering from the Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia. Remember, the offering was designed to express love for these Jewish believers. And remember, giving is an expre- grace giving is an expression of the love of God in our lives. 1 John 3:16 and 17 teaches that. And we see also it was a, a, a manifestation or a token of solidarity, of unity between Jewish and Gentile believers because there was a schism in the early first century of church, one that Paul wanted the Roman believers to avoid, as we saw in Romans 14. But there was some problems with Jewish believers and their attitude toward Gentile believers. And so it took a long time. There was a problem there. And so Paul wanted to do this offering to show in tangible means that these Gentile believers were uh, felt obligated or indebted, spiritually indebted to these Jewish believers, which he's going to mention here in Romans 15, 27. And he wanted them, the Jewish believers, to understand that the Gentile believers loved them. So this was a tangible sign that you, that of the, of the Gentile churches and their love for the Jewish believers. And the application for us is that when we give, whenever we give to the ministry, we're showing an expression of our love for the Lord, but also for the body of Christ. That whether we give to our church to support the pastor, teacher, and the, and the upkeep of the building, or if we just give to Christians in our periphery or people that are suffering and are having problems and they have needs and they're not being met and they may be destitute for whatever reason, a loss of a job or whatever. So we need to, when we do that, when we reach out to them, we're expressing the law, demonstrating and manifesting the love of God in our lives. And as Paul taught us in Colossians 3.14, God's love is the perfect bond of unity. And Paul was practicing that, and the Gentile churches in Macedonia were practicing that principle taught in Colossians 3.14 by giving this gift to the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem. Now last evening we noted the first statement that appears in, in Romans 15.27, and this first statement teaches that these Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia decided with pleasure to provide a contribution for the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem because they're indebted to them. So we've noted last evening that, and we actually noted last Thursday as well, that when we give, we're to give with, with pleasure, with joy. We studied this in 2 Corinthians 8 with the Macedonians who were held up by Paul to the to Corinthian believers to imitate and that they gave of their own accord from their own resources. It wasn't a burden to them. They gave because they, they understood the purpose of such giving. As you've done it unto the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me, Jesus said. And he'll be saying that at his, at the judgment of Gentile and Jewish believers at his second advent. When some, uh, the Lord will say, enter into my kingdom. And when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. And they'll say, when did we clothe you, Lord, when you were naked? When did we see you thirsty and gave you a drink? And he'll say, as you've done it unto the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. So we see that they did this. The, the Macedonian believers and the Achaean believers, they did it and they did it with joy. And we studied 2 Corinthians 9. Both 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 were written to the Corinthians about this particular offering that Paul was speaking about here in Romans 15, verses, uh, uh, verses 22 through uh, 29. So we see that uh, they, they did it with pleasure. So giving should be done with joy. Otherwise, don't give. You might as well put it in your pocket. So that's very important that we give. Because God, as we saw in 2 Corinthians 9, loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want somebody who is, uh, feels like, uh, or they're given grudgingly. We're not to do that. We're to give because that's, how, and give with joy because of what, what it's doing. It's going to produce thanksgiving to God, as we saw in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. So when they received this offering, the, mass, uh, the Jewish believers who were destitute, when they received this offering, they would be giving thanks to God. And that's another reason why we're to give, because it produces thanksgiving to God, and God is glorified. See, we see here, too, is that God works through his people. 
He works through his people. The Spirit working through his people. And when his, and the, and when his people are living according to what the Spirit says and being filled with the Spirit and walking by the Spirit and giving with proper motivation and with joy, it brings glory to God and it's manifesting the character and nature of God in human history, in the lives of God's people, and also the unsaved as well. Now, what we're going to see this evening, we're going to note the second final statement in this particular verse, which reveals that the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia were indebted to these Jewish believers who were poor, since they received, the Gentile believers, received a share and their, the Jewish uh, spiritual blessings, and were thus indebted to serve them, also by providing them with material blessings. So, uh, what we see is that these Jewish believers, remember, salvation is of the Jews, as I mentioned. Uh, the Gentile believers received uh, the gospel from a Jew, Paul, and also the other apostles. So, the covenant promises uh, that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob that had promises, stipulations that salvation would be offered to the Gentiles. And that, as we saw in Romans 11, these Gentile believers, like you and I, have been engrafted into the olive tree and have been grafted into the rich root, the promises to Abraham. And we're now par- partakers of these blessings. And one of the blessings was the Spirit when we believed in Christ as Savior. See, the Jews, were the, were the spiritual blessings have flowed through the Jews and we have been partakers of these blessings. So Paul's saying to here this evening, as we'll see, is that he's saying that you Gentile believers who benefited from the spiritual blessings that come from, from the Jews are obligated, you're indebted spiritually to minister to them, serve them by giving them material things, whether it's finances or any other kind of temporal needs uh, that they might uh, have need need of. So this is what we're going to find out here this evening. We're going to learn about spiritual indebtedness. Now look at Romans fifteen twenty two. It says, for this reason, of course, in context, he's saying, because I was out proclaiming the gospel from Illyricum to uh, Mass, uh, to uh, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, pro- proclaiming the gospel. For that reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you, the Roman believers. But now, here's my situation with no further place for me in these regions. That doesn't mean he couldn't teach there or proclaim the gospel. It means he'd done, he'd church planted in every uh, major metropolitan area from those, from Jerusalem to Illyricum. So he had done the job. It took him about 20 years to do it, as we saw. So he says, but now, with no further place for me in these regions, and because I've had, for many years, a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, For I hope, as we've seen, it means I am certain and I confidently expect to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. Remember, helped on my way there by you? Again, that talks about helping Paul out financially, providing him uh, 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 finances so he could travel, providing him a means of travel. All this is what it was contained in that phrase. We studied it in detail. So he says, and to be helped on my way there by you, when I first enjoyed your company for a while. So he's talking about Christian hospitality, which was obviously a given in the first century church. And also he's talking about fellowship there. He wanted to be refreshed by having fellowship with them. He wanted to be encouraged by being in fellow, uh, having fellowship with them. Then he says in verse 25, But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. And that particular uh, trip to Jerusalem with this gift is recorded in Acts chapter 19, 20, 21, and 22. So he says in verse, uh, in verse 26, he gives the reason for his statement in verse 25, for Macedonia and Achaia, the Gentile believers in those areas, have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Why were there poor individuals in Jerusalem? Because a Jewish believer, if he believed in Jesus Christ, he was kicked out of the synagogue. Remember in the Gospels, right at the end of Jesus' ministry, anybody who proclaimed that they trusted in Jesus as Savior were kicked out of the synagogue. What's that? Why is that a bad deal? Well, you get cut off from Jewish society. Everything pivoted off the synagogue and the temple. So we see that they would be, they'd lose business contacts. They'd, they'd be cut off from Jewish society. And that would mean they lost revenue, they lost income, and then they were ended up out without a job and poor and destitute. So that's why they were poor. Then he says in verse 7, verse 27, it says, Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they're indebted to them. As we saw last evening, it doesn't bear repeating here, but if you can get it, the tape, if you want. 
We, instead of yes there, we should just have, they were pleased to do so, indeed. And then the word and should be translated because. So he says, they were pleased to do so, indeed. Be, why? Because they, the Gentile believers, and Macedonia and Achaia, are indebted to them in a spiritual sense. Who's them? The Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And then here's our statement that we'll look at this evening. He gives the reason why that the, uh, the Gentile believers are indebted to the Jewish believers. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them in material things. Now the word for there in verse 27 is explanatory. It's the conjunction gar. And what that's doing is it's telling us that this statement here explains specifically why the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia were obligated to provide from their own resources and of their own accord a contribution for the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem. So he's teaching the Roman believers why they're spiritually obligated and, and, uh, to give to poor Jewish believers. And he's telling them if there's a reason for it. You're spiritually indebted to them. And as we've been pointing out, we taught this when we years ago when I did the, the study on the past, the teacher in Philippians. If the same principle is, is used by Paul with in relation to pastors, it says if we Paul says in Galatians, if I in Second Corinthians he also First Corinthians nine he says though if we uh, sowed spiritual things among you, don't we have the right to reap material things from you? So then we see, we see that spiritual indebtedness is in the realm of the church and the congregate, the pastor, teacher, and his congregation, and any communicator of the word of God for that matter. So this word for is giving the explanation, is introducing an explanation uh, for why the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia were spiritually obligated to provide from their own resources and of their own accord a contribution for the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Now the word if is the conditional particle e. It's very important word in Paul's writings. Remember, Paul did not write in the New American Standard English. He wrote in, in, the, in Koine Greek. And that's why we go back to the original language. So what it, what it means here, see, if you look at the statement in English, it's not really conveying to you the idea in the Greek. And, uh, and uh, my job is to tell you what the Holy Spirit said in the original language. So unfortunately, it means that we have to talk a little bit about grammar here. It introduces, this word if, introduces a pronosis of a first-class condition that indicates the assumption of truth for the sake of argument. It's a debater's technique. It's a tool of persuasion. It's a, a remember, the pronosis is a premise. And the apodosis is the inference that we derive from that particular process. For instance, uh, we could say, um, uh, if, if uh, Manny Ramirez has a fastball that comes down the middle of the plate, then the hypothesis, the inference from that premise that Manny Ramirez has got a fastball down the middle of the plate, the, the inference from that is he'll hit it out of the ballpark. So it's, 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 we, the pronosis is the premise. The apodosis is the inference from this particular pronosis. So as we noted many times, it's not just if. See, un, uh, unfortunately, um, people don't understand why I, I go to the original language. Because that's, that's the, that's, you, don't you want to know what the Spirit's saying? And don't you want to know what the first century church was getting? Because that's your, the job is to tell you that. So what it says is the idea behind is not just if. It's this, if and let us assume that it's true for the sake of argument. That's how it, the idea behind it. Now this, now why, why is this important? Well, it would encourage Paul's readers, his audience, to respond and come to the conclusion of the apodosis because they already agreed with him on the process. So we see, therefore, Paul is employing this first class condition as a tool of persuasion with his audience. See, Paul was a very intelligent person. Do you realize, and I brought this up many times in Romans, that Peter and other Christians had a hard time with Paul? Now, just imagine you got a poor son of a gun of a pastor out in the middle of Iowa, and he's trying to teach the book of Romans to English-speaking people centuries removed, okay? In the first century, they had a hard enough time understanding him. Now, bring it over to the 21st century with the language barrier and the cultural barrier through the centuries... You can imagine, what. A t you, hopefully you can sympathize with the task of the pastor. Some don't even, even try to do it. But that's not being a good pastor if you do that. So we need to understand that Paul, 
used the language. You see, Paul was brought up in a, in a cultured environment. He went to his, he went to college, we could call it today. He, he was, grew up in an environment where he was steeped in Greek rhetoric and language, philosophy, and he uses this language, the Koine Greek, to convey spiritual truth. So he can be very difficult at times. Uh, hold, let me just show you, hold your place. Look at Second Peter. Hold your place. Look at Second Peter and look at chapter 3. Look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14. It's also kind of funny, is I, uh, many scholars believe this, and I, and I see this too. Peter studied from Paul, you know. Because if you look at Paul, uh, Peter's epistles, like First and Second Peter, he studied from Paul. Because he uses terms that Paul uses. It's like he uses the same kind of terminology, the same language. It was different than what Peter would normally have used. He using, he's using phrases that Paul coined. Now look what he says about uh, Peter's opinion of Paul. Okay? Look at 2 Peter 3.14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him, God, in peace, spotless and blameless. No divisions, no fighting with each other because he could come back at any moment. We don't want to be looking stupid when he comes back. Look at verse 15. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given to him, which he's conveying to us in Romans, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, and which, is, which are some things are hard to understand. Now, this is the great apostle Peter. He's including them. Some of these things are hard to understand that Peter, Paul says. So he says in verse 16, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, and which are some things Hard to understand. Now look what he says. Which the untaught and the unstable distort. They couldn't understand Paul, so they would distort what he said. That's what he's saying. They would attack and criticize Paul because of the way he was so deep is what he was. And people, when you're deep, sometimes people can't understand or relate to you. And Paul had to deal with that. Then he says, and they, they, they're, un, they're, uh, some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. So there we see that, the reason why I brought you there, is that when, I, when I'm talking about first class conditions, you know, in, in Romans 15, and why I have to go back to the original, and how difficult it is to convey to a 21st century audience something that was very difficult in the first century. I, we have to overcome cultural century, cultural barriers, language barriers, centuries. What a tremendous task. So that's why if you feel that you don't get everything in Romans, that's all right. That's why you're not going to get everything in Romans in the first shot. You have to, we, there's, this book you'll never come to the end of. It's God's words eternal. You're not going to get everything. I've studied every word in the original language. I don't know everything about the book. Who could? God's words eternal. So we need to understand and have a little uh, have a little sympathy for me when I bring these things up because my responsibility is to tell you what the passage says, not what the English translation said. Many times the English translation is right on the button most of the time, but sometimes it's not, and my job is to bring that out. And so it's difficult, especially with Paul. Paul can be really a very difficult individual. So go back to Romans fifteen twenty seven, please. Thank you. Romans fifteen twenty seven. Hopefully you held. So Paul says, uh, not yes, they were pleased to do so. Just say, yes, they were pleased to do so indeed, because they're indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they're indebted to minister to them also in material things. So the word if, the idea, is if and let us assume that it's true for the sake of argument. When, he, when the Greeks loved to debate, and Paul understood that, 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 that he was trained in that. So what he was trained in school, he used to teach truth. For instance, I was, I was schooled in Norwood, okay? So, in, in, other, in, in, in UMass Boston. So, when I, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I take my schooling, whatever I was taught in school, I am bringing that into my teaching because I learned the English language there and what other stuff. So, you, so therefore, Paul was the same way. Whatever he learned, 
in his in the schooling that he had, which was very very good. Not to mention he was a, a rabbi who was trained under the, the greatest rabbi of all time, Gamaliel. We see that that you know Paul used the language that God had given to him, a, a normal human language, and he he was could be intricate here. So when he uses the word if, he's using this as a tool of persuasion. Now the pronosis, remember that's the premise. It says this in verse twenty seven. If and let us assume that it's true for the sake of argument that the Gentiles have shared in the spiritual things of the Jewish believers. And what can we infer from that? The hypothesis? Then they, the Gentile believers, are indebted to minister to them, the Jewish believers, in temporal matters. So the response to the, the audience when they read this, in their minds, they're saying, of course we agree that it's true that Gentile believers have partaken of the spiritual blessings promised to the Jewish believers. Why would they agree? Because... Paul, Paul taught them that in Romans 11, and also their pastors taught them that in Romans 15, verses 14 and 15. They would agree with that because this is what they were taught in their Bible classes. Remember, when we get to Romans 16, they met in homes. You know, the build, big, big building idea, that came centuries later. They met in homes. So the pastors in those homes, they had home Bible studies, and they would teach them these things. And they were very well taught, we saw, in our study of Romans 15, verses 14 and 15. And Paul also reminded them in Romans 11, 16 through 28, that they were Gentile believers, were partakers of the blessings that were given to Jewish believers. So he wants his readers, Paul's doing this, because he wants his readers to come to his line of argumentation, because he wants them to understand their spiritual indebtedness to their Jewish brethren. So he's saying... Okay, we agree with this. We can all agree with this premise, okay? This is what we can infer from it. We have blessed, you Gentiles have received great blessings because of the Jews. Now, what can we infer from that? You're obligated to help them in in temporal matters. The Gentile believers are obligated to help them with uh, money, finances, food, clothing, shelter, whatever is needed. Now, when he says the Gentiles there, he's referring to the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, when he says have shared in, that's a cool word. It's the word kinoneo, which means to have a share in, and it's used with the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia as its subject, and the adjective, which is translated spiritual things, as its object. Now, this word indicates that the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia were obligated to provide for their temporal needs of the Jewish believers in Jerusalem because they had a share in the spiritual blessings of the Jews. Now, when he says their spiritual things, he refers to every spiritual blessing as a result of the Christian being in union with Christ and identified with him in his death, burial, resurrection, and session. It also, when he says spiritual things, it refers to those blessings connected to the believer's salvation or his deliverance from the sin nature, the devil, and his cosmic system, as well as those blessings connected to the believer's sanctification. It refers to the spiritual blessings that the believer receives when the Holy Spirit placed you in union with Christ. It, the Holy Spirit has given us at least 60 spiritual benefits. I've counted 60. Uh, Louis Sperry Schaefer did 39. I think Bob Thiem had 40. And I have an article on our website. I have 60. And I'm sure there's more. I just, you know, I don't, that's where I came up with. But irregardless, whatever the number is, we're graced out. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Why? Because we're partakers of the, of the great blessings that were promised to, the, to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jews. What's that? The gift of the Spirit. Being, being, in God's, being a member of God's household. We could never be a part of God's household if it wasn't for the Jews. Now, these spiritual blessings are also connected to the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant because of Romans 11, 20, uh, 16 through 28, and also Romans 15, 8 through 12, which teach that, teach that Gentile believers are joint partakers with Jewish believers of the abundant blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. Hold your place. Go to Romans chapter 11, please. Go to Romans chapter 11. We're going to start to cruise around here a little bit because I want to show you some things. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 1. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people. In context, he's speaking of Israel. He has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite. 
a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they're seeking my life. But what was the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there has come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice, a remnant of Jewish believers who have believed in Christ. The majority rejected him. But if it, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace, meaning they didn't earn it or deserve it like we didn't, our salvation. What then? What Israel is seeking, it is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, speaking of the Jews, for rejecting Christ. Eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. So what basically the principle is, if you reject the truth, God hands you over to the lie. Why? Because he has nothing else to give you but the truth. Look at verse 9, and David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. And let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. I say then, they, the Jews, did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Meaning to be never be able to get up again, that, that God has done with the nation of Israel. May it never be. But by their transgression, rejecting Jesus, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them, the Jews, jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, first class condition and it's true, how much more will their fulfillment be when the Jews turn to Christ at the second advent? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection of Christ is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If, now in verse 16, he's going to talk about how us Gentile believers have benefited from the Jews. He says in verse 16, If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. He's speaking of, when he says the first piece and the, and the, uh, the uh, root, he's speaking of one person. He's speaking of Abraham and the promises given to him. He's the progenitor, the father of the nation of Israel. So that, remember, that's key. If some of the branches, verse 17, and the branches are talking about Jewish, uh, Jewish individuals, if they were broken off and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant to the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, Abraham, and the blessings that come from him, but the root supports you. You, you Gentiles. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in, a Gentile believer. Quite right. They were broken off, the Jews were broken off for their unbelief. They rejected Christ. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. But for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then, the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in the un their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, the olive tree speaks of Israel, and the wild olive tree, I mean, we came from a wild olive tree, that's the Gentiles, how much more will these who are of the natural branches, Jews, be grafted into their own olive tree when they believe in Christ? For I do not want you to be, uh, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, or as the full number of Gentiles have been saved, then Christ will come at his second advent. So there, well, why did I bring you there? Gentile believers are benefiting from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the promises that were given to them. Look at, uh, look at uh, go to Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Actually, look at verse chapter 3. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. 
Paul says in Ephesians 3, 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. It wasn't a mystery that they would be saved. He's saying this is something different that they didn't know in the Old Testament. That Gentile believers would be fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. And fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of which gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with his eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus, uh, our Lord. Now go over to look at, look at chapter 2. Look at verse 11, Ephesians 2, 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you Gentile believers were at that time, when, before you got saved, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You, who's a Jew, you who were formerly far off, the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the death of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So he made peace between Jew and Gentile. By abolishing in his flesh, his human nature, the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself, Christ, he might make the two into one new man. A new humanity, we call it establishing peace between Jew and Gentile, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came, Christ did, and preached peace to you who were far away, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, all Jews. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, another Jew, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together with Jewish believers into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Go to Galatians, back it up. Go to the, the, uh, the Galatians chapter 3. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, they were fell victim to the Judaizers, and Paul went after them. You read of Galatians, he's all over these guys, because he, he loved them. See, when you love somebody with intensity and passion, it comes out in Paul's writings, you can hear it. Look at Galatians 3, 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was public, publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing by, with faith? See, the Judaizers are saying you gotta, you got to keep the law. He's saying, no, you don't. You didn't get the Spirit by keeping the law, but by having faith. Are you so foolish, he says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then... Does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, the first Jew, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. We're all spiritual sons of Abraham. We saw that in Romans 4. Therefore, be sure 
That is, those who are of, the, are of faith, who are sons of Abraham, verse 8, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Was the gospel preached in the Old Testament? Yes, it was preached to Abraham. We studied this in Genesis. He quotes Genesis 12.3, a book we studied in detail, all 50 chapters. All the nations will be blessed in you. The nations is speaking of the Gentiles. Abraham being the first Jew. So then, those who are of faith, faith in Christ, are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Remember Abraham in Romans 11? He's called the root. He's called the first piece. He's holy. He's believer. That's why he's called holy. The root. The promises that came to him. Well, the rich root. Now look at it says in verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all these things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices, practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why? In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, that's what Paul talked about in Romans 11, might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now stop there. What, are we, what were we studying in Romans 15, 27? Why did I take you these passages? I took you these passages because Paul's saying, you, the Gentile believers are obligated to, to minister to these Jewish believers who are poor in Jerusalem in material things because they've taken a share in the spiritual blessings that have been given to the Jews, the Jewish believers. So there we have the spiritual indebtedness Paul touches on, touches on these things in these passages. Now go back to Romans 15, 27. So, not only are, Gentile, are Gentiles joint partakers of the abundant blessings of the Abrahamic covenant through faith in Christ, but they're also joint partakers of the blessings of the new covenant. You know, forgiveness of sins, where did that come from? Think about this. The forgiveness of sins, it didn't come out of the ear. When Jesus came and said, I give you, preach the forgiveness of sins. Remember, in the, and we do the Lord's Supper. This is the new covenant in my blood. And from it, I give you the forgiveness of sins. Where, did Jesus pull that? Was that new? That was old. That was back to the days of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The new covenant, we call it. And that was a promise given to the house of Israel. And it was also offered to the Gentiles. Why? Because it was God promised through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the prophets of Israel, that the and Isaiah, Paul quoted them, that the Gentile believers would have a share in these blessings. So uh, this was nothing new. This was old. The gospel was preached. The forgiveness of sins was, goes back to the new covenant. And it's actually implied in the Abrahamic covenant. And all, uh, in, in, the promise is given to Abraham. Now look at Romans fifteen twenty seven again. And, and specifically, look at the second statement. He says, for if the Gentiles, or we could say, if and let us assume that it's true for the sake of argument, the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, the Jews' spiritual things, which we just saw, uh, 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 took a little study of in a couple of different passages in Ephesians and Galatians, then they're indebted to them to minister to them also in material things. And I love this word, they are indebted. It's the verb, uh, ophilo. And that word means to be under obligation. And it's used of the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So he's saying to the Gentile believers, you're spiritually obligated. You benefited from them. You, have, you are morally obligated, not legally, but morally obligated to provide for these poor people. That, that, that's your responsibility because without them, you would never exist. You would never have salvation. It's because the Jews, the, God, the promises that God made of the Jews, that you have salvation. It's because of a Jew that you have salvation. Now can you understand why I say, and the Bible teaches, especially in Revelation 12, that anti-Israel, anti-Jewish sentiment, being anti-Semitic, they call it, which is actually a misnomer, but because Semitic peoples include the Arabs, is actually being anti-Israeli, that's satanic. And why do you think that God wants to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth? Because of all these things. Salvation is coming to the Jews. Jesus is a Jew. 
He doesn't want to have any remembrance of the Jews. History demonstrates that the Bible is the truth. We brought this up in the Day of the Lord series. History demonstrates the Bible is the truth. How else could you ex- ex- uh, how else could you explain that a nation, Israel, could be deported from her land on three different times and never lose her national identity? In fact, was out of her land for centuries, from 19, uh, AD 70 to 1948. What nation in the history of the world could ever say that they would have been like a phoenix brought up from the ashes, resurrected so many times? How could you explain that? It's God. And the Bible speaks. It's a Jewish book, people. It's a Jewish book. We, we should have a tremendous and feeling of indebtedness to the Jew, can any time we can give, uh, provide, uh, proclaim the gospel to the Jews, we should do so. And we should be praying for the nation of Israel, praying for the, our, for the Jews, that they be exposed to the gospel in whatever way possible. And we should be rejoicing over those remnant of Jewish believers that have believed in Jesus Christ, like the Jews for Jesus. There's a lot of great Jewish believers out there that are, uh, that are fantastic and uh, I've actually put out some stuff on my on the email list of these particular individuals, and uh, and they're awesome, awesome witness. And we see that uh, that we're indebted to these guys. That's what this word brings out. Ophilo. It means you guys, you Gentile believers, are spiritually indebted to the Jewish believers. They're under obligation. Why? They're under obligation to the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem to provide for their temporal needs because through faith in the Jewish Messiah. Jesus Christ, they are benefiting from the spiritual blessings of the Abrahamic and New Covenants and their union and identification with Christ. Abrahamic Covenant, New Covenant, those are all, those are all given to Jews. Hold your place. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Quickly. Look at Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, 1. First book. We study this. What a great book that was. Fun to do. Now the Lord, uh, Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram. This is before he got his name changed to Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means the father of many nations. Go forth from your country, Abraham, Abram, and from your relatives and from your father's house. To the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. He did, Israel. And I will bless you. He did. And I will make your name great. Everybody knows Abraham. He's considered the father of the Arabs because the two branches of the Arabs came from him as we saw. He's great among the Christians because he's their spiritual father. He's great among the Jews because he's their progenitor. Truly God's made him great. And then it says, so you should be a blessing. It's a command. He says, be a blessing. And he was. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And then don't miss this. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The Gentiles, the rest of the world, will be blessed through you, through a descendant of his. Remember, if you look at the Gospels, remember the genealogies in Matthew and Luke? The Gospels are there for a reason. It's showing uh, those uh, in the Gospels, those genealogies, they're boring to some people, but they're not boring because... They would, what it's doing is it's showing how God has been faithful to his people. He keeps his promises. He's sovereign. He's in control of history. And that these, all these things, it tells you that Jesus Christ, who was promised to the woman in the Garden of Eden, in you, uh, in your seed, uh, you will crush the serpent's head. And he says that to Abraham, and you, your descendant, your seed, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that came to fruition through Jesus Christ, Abraham's uh, great, great, great descendant. Abraham was his great, 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 great grandfather. Remember, Jesus' human nature came, uh, originated all the way back to Abraham. So, uh, look at Je- Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. Middle of your Bibles. It's after Isaiah. Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. Jeremiah 31, 31. It's always interesting when you read the Old Testament prophets, a lot of these guys, remember, remember when you, the Old Testament prophets, like the apostles and Jesus, they weren't popular people. <laughs> they got killed. I mean, Isaiah was sawn in two. 
Jeremiah, if you ever read this book and you're, you teach the word of God, you won't feel bad after you deal with this guy because he got, I mean, he was thrown into jail. <laughs> he was imprisoned and he was a young guy. In fact, a lot of people thought Jesus was Jeremiah because Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet and Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He, he, he did that. And so they thought Jesus might be the, resur- you know, a, a, the re- uh, resurrection of J- Jeremiah. But Jeremiah was a great, great Bible teacher, great, great prophet, but he was not a popular character, and he was uh, persecuted. Look at it, it says in Jeremiah 31, 31, but in the midst of persecution, and he's condemning the nation, okay, because the nation was in apostasy. But God, every time that God condemns the nation, he always does so, so that they would repent. That's what we're going to study when we get to Jonah. God said, I'm going to judge you, Nineveh. And of course, he said that so that Ninevites would repent. And he, he rescinded on it. He didn't, he didn't destroy them because they repented. But we see that in the midst of this condemnation, God gives the nation of Israel hope. He gives them hope for the remnant that was positive to him. Look at Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, the the Mosaic covenant, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, with the spirit. That's how the law will be within them because they'll have the spirit. And on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. Now look what he says. Here's the provision of forgiveness of sins in the covenant. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember the sin no more. Now, when Jesus offered the forgiveness of sins, and he mentioned it in relation to the new covenant and the Lord's Supper and the Passover service, that's where we get the forgiveness of sins. It was a promise given to the house of Israel and extended to the Gentile nations. So no, now you understand when I say that in Romans fifteen twenty seven, when Paul says the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia were obligated to the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem to provide for their temporal needs, it was because through faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, that these Gentile believers in us are benefiting from the spiritual blessings of the Abrahamic and New Covenants and their union identification with Christ. Now go back to Romans 15, 27. We'll close. Hopefully you held. Look at Romans 15, 27. And just look at that second statement. When he says, For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them, he says, also in material things. Now the phrase to minister is a word, one word in the Greek. It's the infinitive form of the word, word litorio. And this means to serve in the sense of providing for the needs of the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem. So it tells us that when you give to other believers, it's service. Because that's what the word's saying here. The word to minister is talking about serving them. In what sense? Providing for their needs. Also, when he says to them, it's of course referring to the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And the phrase in material things is set in contrast with the, the, the phrase spiritual blessings indicating that the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia were under obligation to the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem to minister to them by means of providing them with material blessings. So to wrap this all up, verse 27, we see in this verse Paul's revealing that the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia decided with pleasure to provide a contribution for the the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Why? Because they're spiritually indebted to them. Then he states that these believers, in, uh, Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia were indebted to the poor destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem for a reason. Because they shared in their spiritual blessings and were thus indebted to serve them also in material blessings. Why, now, so we see that this is a, another, a, uh, this, this gift is a token of unity. It's an expression of love and it shows you the importance of Christian giving. It's not a gimmick, it's about grace, and it's to be motivated by the Spirit, and it's designed to bring thanksgiving to God and to meet the needs of God's people and, and, and to bring glory to God. Then, see, it's a tangible expression of love. 
That's what Christian giving is all about. Well, let's close in prayer and then we'll take a, a, a break for a couple of minutes and then do our prayer meeting. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would help us understand and apply what we've learned here this evening. And we also pray that you would bless the fellowship after and give us traveling mercies on the way home. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.